if your goal is to have a very low risk investment and make a return and not necessarily worried about making a large chunk of capital at an exit, then that might be a good strategy for you. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I am your co-host, Theo Hicks, with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Hey, Theo. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And today, we're going to be talking about how to plan for the end. Very ominous, but we're talking about the exit strategy. So a lot of real estate podcasts and content are really focused on the upfront, you know, finding deals, finding GPs from a passive investor perspective, analyzing the deal, understanding the team, and then how to fund the deal how to get the ongoing evaluations and recaps, but there's not a lot of focus on the end game, like what happens at the end of the business plan. 
And a very common truism in real estate is that you, know, you make money on the buy, but in reality, what they're saying is that when you buy it, whatever the price that you buy it at is going to impact the amount of money you make at the exit. And so reality is kind of talking about the exit. And so what we want to do today was go over some of our thoughts based off of a blog post that someone on our team had wrote, our thoughts on how to understand the exit strategy, why it's important, different types of exit strategies, the pros and cons of each because if you do make the most money at the exit, that's probably the most important thing to actually know. And since people don't talk about it a lot, Travis thought it'd be a good idea to talk about it today. So with that said, Travis, do as usual, introduce in more detail why we're covering this topic and give some background from your perspective as a passive investor, maybe when you realized that the exit strategy was actually one of the most important aspects of passively investing. Absolutely. Theo. I was skimming through joeperilous.com the other day. I just came across this mere coincidence. I just had one of those light bulb epiphany moments. Being that I'm director of investor relations and I talk to investors all the time, I got to thinking of the questions I get asked all the time. And this is certainly not one of them. And I thought, why is that? Everyone's so concerned with what's the year one projection and the cap rate and the purchase price and all these things and analysis paralysis up front. But what about your ability to sell the asset in general? I just thought of this just now as you were doing your intro. I remember when I first got started, I was maybe a year into real estate. It was like 2010 or something. I went to this conference and they had an opener, someone that came up before the main act, which was about fix and flips and stuff. And they were trying to sell this tax lien investing software platform or something like that. And I got duped. I bought it. It was a couple grand. It was free information I could have found online. But the funny thing was I got into this platform they were selling and I started searching for things. And a lot of this stuff was more or less swampland. I was thinking, yeah, it's cheap, right? You might be able to acquire this land. It's very inexpensive. How cool is that? But who wants swampland? Who are you going to sell that to? <laughs> so really you could get yourself screwed in something like that. And it was a little bit scary, a little bit of a step back thinking about the bigger picture there in the exit. And when it comes to value add deals, this is why I really want to bring up this topic today. Value add deals, for those that may not be familiar, we talked about this on our last episode, but it's a strategy where you're buying a pre-existing asset that's got some problems of whatever type. You're going in and fixing those issues and you're raising the rents over time. I'm simplifying the strategy, but Basically, if I had to put a percentage to it, roughly 50% of your return is coming from cash flow and collected rents as you hold this asset. The other half comes from the equity upside, which is the forced appreciation when you go to sell. So really what we're talking about is your exit strategy could be 50% of the equation, yet nobody's talking about this. So I thought we have to bring this up on the show and I'll share one more story. I'm in a lot of investor meetup groups, and there was this one in particular that I was at, and it was kind of this newer syndicator. And he's up there presenting to the group, and he says, I try to chase these 100-unit properties, give or take, anything from 75 units to maybe one and a quarter, somewhere in this sweet spot. He said, because I'm above the threshold of a lot of mom-and-pop operators, which is true, and I'm below the radar of the institutional buyers. And I got to thinking, 
then who are you going to sell to? <laughs> You're really limiting your potential on who's going to buy this asset. Maybe another syndicator, maybe they're looking for bigger deals too. So it's great for the acquisition standpoint, but it might end up biting him later when he goes to sell and maybe he doesn't hit the returns because there's just not a big buying pool for it. So anyway, it's certainly something to think about. Certainly something to ask a general partner if you're going to be like me, a limited partner, as to what is your exit game plan, your strategy, who have you sold to in the past? And you may be able to answer that question yourself, which we'll get into later. But that's kind of the why we're covering it. And I'll turn it over to you, Theo. You've got any thoughts so far on that? Yes. I think one important thing to realize as a passive investor, what we're saying is true. If you're investing in a deal where a value is being forced up, then you're going to make your money via cash flow. It kind of depends on what type you're investing in. Last week or seven episodes before this one, we talked about four different types of investments. And some of them are more focused on cash flow, less kind of upside. On the other end is development, where it's you know, all upside, no cash flow, and then value add falls in between there. So if you're looking at a deal, obviously when you're investing, you want to make money, right? You have the value of the property to, to increase, the value of your investment to, to increase. So understanding how that calculation is done is, is important. So there's two metrics that are used to calculate the value of the property. It's going to be the market cap rate. So that'll be based off of recent sales of a similar apartment communities. And then there's going to be the net operating income. And so it's net operating income divided by the market cap rate equals the value of the property. So those are the two metrics that can be changed in order to increase the value of the property. And so when you are investing in a deal, the goal obviously is to increase the value Then you want to know which one of those two are they banking on? Are they banking on the cap rates in the denominator? Then the lower it gets, the higher the value is. Are they banking on the cap rate going down and they're just going to keep that net operating income the same or just have it go up with inflation? Do they plan on making market cap rate the exact same and increasing the NOI? Or is it going to be a combination of each? So that's why on the one hand, the sales comps are going to be important when they're buying. Ideally, they're buying below market rates because when they do that, then that's just going to be free equity, right? If the market cap rate is a 5% and they're buying it at a 6%, then they have a free equity of 1% based off of the NOI for free. And so that's obviously one thing that's important. If they're buying it at market rate, that's fine. But being the highest price, buying a deal at a three cap in a five cap market, probably not the best idea, but at or above is better. And then what's even more important, which rarely talked about is the exit cap rate, because that's what's going to determine the value of the property at the exit. So how are they determining the exit cap rate? Something they call it the reversion cap rate is very, very important. That's one of the most important questions you want to know that's probably hidden and not thought about. So there's lots of different approaches. Some sponsors will just set it equal to what it is today. Some of them will assume that it's going to go lower. The best approach is to actually assume the market is going to be worse at exit than at buy. And so let's say they buy it and the market cap rate is at 5% and they plan on selling in five years. Best practice is 0.1% or 100 basis points every year of the hold. And so they'll assume an exit cap rate of 5.5%. That way the market is the same, then 0.5% free equity. If the market gets better and the cap rates go down, then even better, right? But 
if the market does worse at sale, maybe a recession happens, something happens that changes the market cap rates in the area, then the return projections are going to be met depending on how far up the cap rate went. But as Travis said, this is something that is super important and maybe not thought about, not like hidden knowledge, but just something that you wouldn't really think about. Asking about an exit cap rate or a reversion cap rate seems like it's not that big of a deal, but when you're talking about millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in NOI, 0.1% difference in a cap rate is going to change the value of the property by a lot. So just some of the things to keep in mind. Ultimately, the question here is, are they banking on NOI, cap rate, or both? And if they're banking on the cap rate, what evidence do they have to support that this cap rate is going to go where they say it's going to go if they're assuming it's going to get better? Yeah, that's a great point. All great points. But let's talk about the hidden knowledge thing that you brought up. So I was watching a webinar. I look at a lot of deals for anyone who's not aware. I look at a ton of deals. And I was on this crowdfunding platform because someone asked me a question about it. I was checking it out. And I'm watching this webinar presentation on this deal. It was out in Florida. Everything looks great. Projections look great. Cash flow looks great. The exit looks great. I'm thinking, wow, this seems like a pretty solid deal. Well, the thing they left out was the reversion cap rate. No one talked about it in the presentation. No one asked about it in the Q&A. So I circled back with that sponsor afterwards. And I said, I only have one question because I didn't hear it. Maybe I missed it. But what's your projected exit cap rate? And they were buying at five cap, basically. They were projecting four cap upon exit. And I thought, man, right out, I'm done. There's no way. I wouldn't touch that thing. And to your point, if they were buying at a five cap, the answer I was looking for was 5.5, maybe six, some conservative approach, assuming that the market had softened. Then those projected returns I'm looking at would then become a lot more conservative. But instead, they were taking a very aggressive approach to try to make that deal look good. So this needs to be part of your criteria. Anybody listening who's a limited partner, like I am, I'm such a big advocate for self-awareness, writing down your goals, your criteria on these deals. That has to be one is to look at cap rates. So that's my little rant on that. But at the end of the day, Theo and everybody, all of what we're talking about, it's a balancing act of risk. What we're really talking about is what's the risk, right? So you have asset classes, property types, business plans, leverage, the time horizon. But really at the end of the day, you're trying to answer two questions. Is it likely that I'm going to make money? How much money? And am I okay with those projected returns? But more importantly, the feasibility of that. So I'm always trying to stack up when I'm listening to presentations, when I'm on calls with general partners, what I'm trying to figure out is, okay, I understand what you're telling me. I understand that you're saying it's going to be this kind of percentage, this kind of return, this kind of whatever, but what do I have to go by to give me certainty around that? That's why track record and experience are so important. How many times have you done this? Is this your typical business plan and business model? Is this your typical hold period, typical underwriting structure, all these kinds of things. And I like to know about the good, bad, and ugly of past performance. Do you have deals struggling right now? Have you lost money? Have you had capital calls as a company? I could go on and on. All I'm really talking about, though, is assessing the risk in all of this. So those would be my thoughts on that. I'll turn it back to you, Theo. Exactly. Assessing the risk and then what you're comfortable with. And as Travis mentioned, there's a lot of different types of syndications you can invest in with different types of exit strategies. And there isn't really one that's objectively better than the other, always at all times. It just comes down to what your goals are. 
So sometimes there are syndicators who will buy a property and they don't really have an end date. They're going to sell it at some point, but they don't really have a set number of years when they're going to sell the property. It might just be buy a core asset that's already fully completed and they might just hold it for a while, right? And so if your goal is to have a very low risk investment and make a return and not necessarily worried about making a large chunk of capital at an exit, then that might be a good strategy for you. Another long-term hold strategy would be they might do a value add play, but then rather than selling once they've completed the value add, they might refinance or do a supplemental loan and then refinance. That way you might get maybe not as much money back as you've gotten if they would have sold it, but you'll still get a sizable return, assuming that the GP give the LPs refinance proceeds, but then they'll keep holding on to the deal and you'll yeah. keep making cash flow. The cash flow might be the same. It might go down, it might go up depending on how big the refinance was and, and things like that. Other ones might plan to fully reposition and sell after three to five years. And then when that happens, you get all your money back plus uh, 50% or so profits. Again, everything depends. These numbers aren't exact science. And then you've got your development deal where there's no cash flow at all. And then they exit after two or three years or maybe they refinance and they hold. So there's all these different exit strategies. And so you want to kind of ask yourself, what do you want? Do you want to double your money in five years and then get it all back? Do you want to just make a cash flow and then that's it? And so understanding what the exit is, is going to determine which type of syndication you invest in. Because if you want that equity upside, but you also want to get the equity, you don't want to just sit there and be bigger, then you're going to want to do invest in a deal where they're going to fix it up, force that value up, and then sell and get you your money back. You're not going to want to invest in a core turnkey asset that is going to cash flow. Exactly. Another one that just came to mind too is a REIT roll-up. So sometimes these syndicators, they're buying portfolio deals, which means maybe two or three properties and they're putting them in one small portfolio and then they have lots of these portfolios. And then they're going to find a REIT, maybe a pre-existing REIT, real estate investment trust, or maybe a newly formed REIT who's going to acquire all of those properties in one big package. So I'm using the term REIT roll-up. Maybe it's a jargon term in the industry, but basically you're wrapping up all of your assets and selling them all off either to Wall Street or it could be a private REIT, but that's another exit strategy. But here's how I look at it. There's really four common exits, not saying this is all inclusive here, but you could sell, like I just said, to a real estate investment trust, to a REIT, publicly traded or private. That's one thing. You could sell to institutions. So pension funds, insurance companies, et cetera, that's institutional capital in layman's terms. Again, not all inclusive. Syndicator groups and then individuals and or family office, things like that. It just kind of depends. So let's talk about that. So institutions and REITs, typically, again, I have to use a generalization here in that, that disclaimer, but typically they're investing for cash flow and for yield and newer properties or recently renovated properties. I would say they're mostly in the A class and the B to B plus categories of assets. They're not in the business usually of value add and doing lots of heavy turnaround and repositioning. They don't want to buy assets that have leaking roofs and HVACs going out and under market rents. They just want a turnkey asset. They want to place their capital and they want to have virtually no worries. 
for five, 10, 15 years, whatever their business plan is. Now, when you're talking about syndicators and individual buyers, again, as a generalization, they're typically looking in the B and the C class space for what these institutions are basically offloading, because now they have problems, they need work, the rents aren't able to be pushed anymore because it's an older asset that hasn't really been kept up. Maybe it's got outdated amenities, all these kinds of things. So typically they're looking to go in with a value add play and renovate and bring things back up to the market level and then sell back oftentimes to REITs and institutional capital and things like that. It's just different business plans. To your point, Theo, there is a right and a wrong. And a lot of people, they prefer core assets where they're looking for just that natural inflation, if you will, to kind of lift the values over time. They're not looking for that forced appreciation in the deal. So those are the four exits, in my opinion, that are most common. Those are, those are my thoughts on that. Did you have any final thoughts to you? Yeah, I feel like we went over a lot of information here. The kind of want to condense it down just to, as a passive investor, what questions do you want to have answered based off of the exit strategy? And so the first question, arguably the most important question about the exit strategy is what is that exit cap rate assumption? What is that reversion cap rate assumption? That will determine how conservative or aggressive they are being. And again, best practice is to have an exit cap rate that is higher than the current cap rate. How higher that is depends, but it shouldn't be lower than, right? Travis gave the story of the 4% exit cap rate, 5% in-place cap rate. Probably not the best idea. And then the other question based off what Travis just talked about is who do you typically sell to on the back end or who do you expect to buy this property on, on the back end? And then based off of what Travis said, does their answer align with what Travis just talked about? So if they plan on buying a BC asset and doing a value at play, fully renovating it, and then eventually selling it, then they should say that we plan on selling it to an institution or if it's like a fund of a REIT. But if they are going to buy a B property and just kind of hold it, not do anything, and then claim they're going to sell it to an institution, well, that's probably not going to happen. So I think those are the two most important questions. What's the exit cap rate and their justification for how they came up with that? And then two, who's your typical buyer? Who do you expect to sell to? on the back end. Yep. Those are great points. That's a great way to phrase it too. Who is your typical or ideal buyer in this situation? What type of individual or institution or, or what have you? Because the answer, quite frankly, is that nobody knows. Five years down the road, who's going to buy this deal? I don't know. Nobody knows. But the point is you're looking for competence. You're looking for, well, thought this through. Let's put it that way. In the past, we've sold to three institutional buyers and one syndicator. Well, that kind of answers your question there. And to your point, Theo, you just want to make sure all this stuff aligns with what you're wanting and does that help you accomplish your goals? And are they being realistic with their business plan and approach? That's it. The competence thing is huge, right? These aren't trying to trap them or trick them, but these are important things to think about. And you can kind of gauge the sophistication of the GP by asking them some of these questions that they probably aren't asked a lot. And if they don't really have an answer, they can say, I don't know, I can figure that out for you and get back to you. But if they start making things up or tell it they don't know what they're talking about, that could save you. Something as simple as that could save you from potentially losing your capital. Travis, going back to me, your example is perfect, right? If you didn't know to ask that question because it wasn't presented to you, 
you had invested in a deal with the return projections based off of a very aggressive cap rate assumption. You're just asking that question and they're getting their honest answer, which is assuming the market's going to get way better when we sell or them saying, oh, I never thought about that or whatever. It's just kind of give you an idea of who you're working with here. So is there anything else you want to mention, Travis, before we wrap up? No, I think we hit it. So Perfect. anybody listening, feel free to reach out to us with any additional questions or leave a comment. We're happy to answer those. Yes. Any questions, just email me, Theo, at JoeFarrellis.com. We are also doing a new shorter segment called 60 Second Question. So you submit your actively passive investing questions. You can email those to me, Theo, at JoeFarrellis.com. If you're listening to this on YouTube, you can also leave it in the comment section. Completely up to you. And then just leave your name and your question. And we will read the question and we will answer it in 60 seconds or less. 60 second question, email Theo at JoeFarrellis.com and we post those on our YouTube channel. So as always, Travis, thank you for joining me today. Best ever listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Best ever conference is almost here starting February 18th. We have over 30 of the best ever speakers in commercial real estate. When you sign up, you are placed in a virtual mini mastermind group to network and gain connections from start to finish. And if you're looking to elevate your investing game, this is the place to be. Visit BEC2021.com and use the code INVEST15 to get 15% off.